0: Lord Jesus, right now I want to pray specifically for the people in Morocco that have been devastated. Um, And I pray, Lord, for certainly their provision, uh, for their protection, for their comforting, those who have lost loved ones. And Lord, I wanna pray especially for your church that it will stand strong and show the love of Jesus in the way that they respond to others. You are everywhere, and that includes in Morocco, as well as in Hood River. And I pray that we will sense your presence with us today as we consider these things. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those of you who may not know me, my name is Lynn Kent. I used to preach here a lot. And now I get to preach here every so often. And I always appreciate it. By the way, Tommy, with everything going on today, I'm just glad you could squeeze me in. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening. Uh here today, and, and it's all good stuff, so I'm always thrilled to see and hear the life here at Shepherd of the Valley. How many of you have been on a Zoom or a FaceTime call in the last uh, month? Last month? Last week? Last day? Right now? <laughs> so, turn it off, okay? It wasn't long ago-, ago when that kind of technology was a futuristic fantasy, something that you saw in comic books or science fiction movies. Any of you old enough to remember Dick Tracy? Remember the watch? He had a watch, would do all kinds of amazing things. Now it's commonplace, we don't even think about it anymore. I mean, if you can't physically make it home for the holidays, you can simulate the experience. You can see your parents' dining room, your relatives are seated around it, you can almost choose white or dark meat from the turkey. Uh, Candid yams, drumstick or thigh, so when the holidays approach, we can sing the song, I'll Be Home for Christmas If Only on My Screen. (laughs) That was kind of a pun, see, okay, kind of a play on words. We have apps on our computers and telephones are the closest we're ever going to be to being in two places at once. When we talk about the omnipresence of God, we're not talking about virtual reality, we're talking about literal reality. The entire truth is summed up in the title of this message, He's Everywhere. So we're going to spend some time considering what that means kind of from a theological or a doctrinal standpoint, but then what it means to us personally and practical. So let's start by explaining His omnipresence, the passage that the just read for us. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your Presence. And I'm going to throw around a few big words today to really impress you. So I hope you leave here really impressed. The first word is the word transcendence. Transcendence. God is immense. For thousands of years, great wor- worshipers of God have tried to grasp his enormity. David and Solomon wanted to illustrate this to some degree when they planned and built the great temple in Jerusalem. But at the benediction ceremonies, King Solomon expressed what a puny, miniature representation this was. First Kings eight: "God, can you really live here on the earth? The sky and the highest place in heaven cannot contain you. Surely this house, which I have built, cannot contain you." The prophet Isaiah groped for words to express. The immense size of God. In Isaiah 66, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my home, and the earth is where I rest my feet. So do you think you can build a house for me? Do I need a place to rest? Get that word picture in your mind. Heaven is my throne, he said, and the earth is his hassock. It's his footstool. It's the part of the lazy boy that you whip out. That's what he says the earth is. That's how big God is. Another prophet, Jeremiah, received this description from God himself. Jeremiah 23, someone might try to hide from me in some hiding place, but it is easy for me to see that person, says the Lord, because I am everywhere in heaven and on earth. God is larger than the heavens and the earth. He fills them up and overflows their boundaries. An old country song, some of you may like country songs. The rest of you will just have to indulge me. Stuart Hamblin wrote this several years ago called How Big Is God? That ring a bell with some of you. Though men may strive to go beyond the reach of space, to crawl beyond the distant shining stars, this world's a room so small within my master's house, the open sky but a portion of his yard. How big is God? How big and wide his vast domain? To try to tell these lips can only start. He's big enough to rule his mighty universe, yet small enough to live within my heart. In theological terms, God's omnipresence is described by his immensity means God is present with his whole being everywhere at the same time. God is present with his whole being everywhere at the same time. Contemplating God's transcendence may be inspiring, but the concept of omnipresence gets more practical as we understand this next word, which is the word imminence. Not only is God everywhere, God is here. That's what David is expressing in our primary passage, Psalm 139. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If God is everywhere, then he's obviously here. All the prepositions apply to God because he's over, under, around, through, within, on top of, and beside. Matthew 18, 20. If two or three people are together believing in me, I am there with them. Now that's really comforting to pastors on three-day weekends and the beginning of the hunting season, right? (laughs) Even if just two or three show up and you do it and Tommy and Sue and one other comes, God is there. God is there in a special way. Now, depending on your frame of mind, the nature of your activity, that can be either positive or negative. On the positive side, God's imminent transcendence is protective. God is there in the hospital waiting rooms as well as in the operating room. God is there in empty bedrooms after your spouse has departed or died. God is there when you're feeling overwhelmed Overwhelming odds, facing overwhelming odds in a classroom or a courtroom. That's what David expressed in another Psalm 23, one that we're very familiar with. Even in the unending shadows of death's darkness, I am not overcome by fear because you are with me in those dark moments. Near with your presence, or rather your protection and guidance, I am comforted. Another Psalm 34 the Lord is close to those whose hearts are breaking. He rescues those who are humbly sorry for their sins. But in contrast to the positive or protective side of God's eminence, consider the negative or detective side of his presence. In a word, it means that we can never get away with anything because he sees everything. Ask Moses when he tried to take God's Work into his own hands by killing an Egyptian. Exodus chapter two. Moses grew up, then he went to see his own people and watched them suffering under forced labor. He saw a Hebrew, one of his own people, being beaten by an Egyptian. He looked all around, and then he didn't. When he didn't see anyone, he beat the Egyptian to death and hid the body in the sand. Very descriptive words here. Looks around. You know. Look to the left. You look to the right. You looking back? No, I think the coast is clear. I think I can do it, and I think I can get away with it. Well, as it turned out, there was at least one human eyewitness, but of course God saw everything because with God, the coast the coast is never completely clear. Ask David when he looked completely safe. When it looked completely safe to have an affair with another man's wife, but of course God can look into bedrooms and into boardrooms. Think about God's omnipresence the next time you're tooling down I-84. I'm preaching to myself right now. You're tooling down and, and you're, you you got to make up for Lost Town at uh, time. And the fuzz buster light is on. Do they still make those by the way? Let's be out. There some of you would not even confess that you have one. It's on, and yet you say, hey, the coast is clear. I can look to the right, and I can look to the left, and there's no patrol cars. Surely nobody will ever know how fast I'm going. With one exception, well, two exceptions. One is the kids in the back seat. I hate it when they grow old enough to look at the speedometer. (laughs) You used to be able to get away with that kind of stuff, but then they get just old enough. Hey, Dad, aren't you going a little fast? Isn't the speed limit here 55 or 65 or whatever it is? And, of course, God is everywhere. That means he's in the car. He's out there on I-84. When we humble ourselves to confess sin, God is never shocked. So we bring that to his attention. He doesn't go, wow, I didn't see that coming. He did because he's everywhere. He's everywhere. He's never shocked. Not only did he see when the sin is committed, he was there when it was committed. Omnipresence is as if we go, have gone into the very throne room of heaven and performed our sin at God's feet. Think about that. We think we're getting away. We're going to hide. We're going to do this in secret. We're going to do this in the darkness. Omnipresence is as if we go into the very throne room of God, throne room of heaven, and we perform our sin at his feet. Confession is simply putting your hands up. It's simply saying, God, I agree with you. You caught me red-handed. He is always an eyewitness. The reason why God is everywhere at the same time is because of his essence. God is spirit. That's how David refers to him in Psalm 139:7. where can I go from your spirit? And that's also how Jesus is described in, or rather, uh, Jesus described him in John 4.24, God is spirit. Only by the power of his spirit can people worship him as he really is. When Jesus came to earth as a man, he voluntarily gave up some of his God-like attributes, including the attribute of omnipresence. You take that spirit and he limited it to one body during those 33 years. Now that's quite a lot to give up. That'd be quite an adjustment, wouldn't it, to, from being everywhere to suddenly only being one place at a time. Perhaps we can understand the concept a little better when we realize, and we know, that around this room there are things we can't see called radio waves and TV r- waves, or what we call now Wi-Fi, right? We don't see it, but it's floating around here. And then it becomes obvious when we use the device, which of course none of you are doing right now, but nevertheless... You use that device and it tunes into the waves, doesn't it? And then it suddenly becomes visible. After explaining the basic concept of omnipresence, David goes on to illustrate it by both poetically and practically. So let's join the psalmist psalmist, in exploring his omnipresence. We're going to go to different parts here that Sue read just a few moments ago. First of all, to the highest heavens. If I go to the heavens... You are there. Perhaps David was, in fact, looking up at the starry sky some night and wondering what it would be like to soar into the heavens, to get into outer space. So let's take an imaginary trip. I didn't do the math on this. Somebody who had a lot of time and ability on their hands did it. And uh, if, if, if I get some of these numbers wrong, I'm sure I can be corrected. But this is the way that this thing went. Uh, we're going to take an imaginary trip trip in a spaceship across our home galaxy. And we're gonna do it at light speed. Light travels how fast? Remember? Per hour? Per second, all right. Caught you on that one, Scott, all right. 186,000 miles per second. We would circle our entire planet in uh, seven and a half times before the second hand on your watch did one tick. Boarding our spacecraft at 7 a.m., we get up to light speed instantly 11 million miles per minute. Nine minutes later, just as we're opening our complimentary copy of USA Today, we pass our sun at milepost 90 million. One hour later, the trip set on our odometer tells us we've traveled 669 million miles. Of course, we did it all on cruise control. Will we reach the end of our galaxy? By lunchtime. Not a chance. In fact, traveling at light speed, we will not arrive at the back fence of our galaxy for another 50,000 years. If you want to move on to the next closest galaxy, pack enough food and clothing for a million year journey. Even if David or we could ascend to the outer edge of our own galaxy and beyond, Far away as we can imagine going, you know what? God is there. God is there. But consider the possibilities of ascending to the spiritual heights as two New Testament heroes were able to do. First of all, the Apostle Paul, recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Fourteen years ago, I was taken up to heaven for a visit. Don't ask me whether my body was there or just my spirit, for I don't know. Only God can answer that. But anyway, there I was in paradise, and I heard things so astounding that they are beyond man's power to describe or put into words. And anyway, I'm not allowed to tell you about that anyway. The Apostle John had a similar experience, the book of Revelation chapter 4. I saw a door standing open. And the same voice I heard from before, which sounded like a mighty trumpet blast, spoke to me and said, Come up here and I will show you what must happen in the future. And instantly I was in spirit there in heaven and saw, oh the glory of it, a throne and someone sitting on it. Great bursts of light flashed forth from him as from a glittering diamond or from a shining ruby. And a rainbow glowing like an emerald encircled the throne. Now, obviously, in both cases, God was there as they literally stepped into another dimension of time and space. He got a a glimpse of future glory. That's what a Christian has to look forward to. The moment the heart monitor goes flatline and brainwave activity ceases, that's what we look forward to and what we have to look forward to because God is there. But David also traces omnipresence of God to the deepest depths. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Imagine how any of us could sink or have sunk into the depths of discouragement or despair or failure or sin. Think about those worst dens of iniquity, from the porno theater to the brothel to the drug house. And surprise of all surprises, God is there. Relate this to the greatest depths of depression that anyone ever experienced, whether neurotic or psychotic, bouncing back and forth between fantasy and reality, and surprise of all surprises, God is there. Psalm 62, trust in him at all times, you people. Tell him your troubles. God is our place of safety. But to be perfectly literal with this phrase, David is talking about sinking into the pits of hell. The abode of the dead. Imagine the person who has spent a lifetime running from God, resisting everyone who shared a word of testimony, rebuffing all invitations. Then, like the rich man in the parable that Jesus told, dies and descends into the torment of Hades, or hell, or Sheol. The only solace that a person would have at a time like that is at least they get away from God, right? They've run as far as they can run, and at least there's no more preachers, no more Jesus freaks, no more gospel preaching, no more God. But surprise of all surprises, God is there. God is there. Revelation chapter 14. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, meaning Jesus. Quite a thought, isn't it? Even there, you can't get away from God. Not even there. What a horrible aspect of God's omnipresence. Well, let's change directions in our exploration of omnipresence. To the widest expanse, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, consider the wide range of human experience traveling literally from east to west across the globe. Some of you know what it is to be transferred literally off the ends of the earth. You wake up in your hometown close to family and friends, job, school, and church, and before you know it, you find yourself way out west or way back east or way down south in unfamiliar territory. Loneliness makes your heart ache. Some of you know what it is to have your world turned totally upside down due to human tragedy. When you married, it was for better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. But now the spouse has walked away, leaving you with regrets and bitterness and painful memories. But somehow, if you can grab hold of it, his hand is there to guide you. His right hand, the Scripture says, will hold you fast. You're not alone, you're not helpless because you know and serve an omnipresent God who offers guidance and a sense of security through his word, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and other believers. There's another marvelous truth that surfaces out uh, this aspect of omnipresence and that's the security of the believer. We know Christians who have wandered far, far away from fellowship with God. They've seen it all and done it all and thought for sure that returning to the Lord for them was absolutely impossible. They've run here and there looking for some experience or possession or person that's going to fill the void in their life that they have been looking for. But the hound of heaven has been pursuing them ever since they left. In fact, he has never been, they've never been out of his sight They've never been out of his presence, even though it seemed like that. What does omnipresence mean? Omnipresence means that you run as far and as fast as you can to get away from God, and you've only run closer to his other hand. God is present everywhere. God is present everywhere. And there can come that moment of realization, like with the prodigal son. Saying, what in the world am I doing? This is nuts. I got to go home. I got to go home. By the way, a little side note here something I learned when we were going through uh, estrangement with our oldest son, when he was no longer walking with the Lord. And uh, feeling guilty and thinking like most parents would, Christian parents would, what did I do wrong? Could we have done more? And, you know, you go through that whole scenario. And uh, it really hit me that the main job we have as parents is to make sure that our kids always know the way home. That when they get to the end of themselves like the prodigal did, they know how to come home again. And we're sure with our son He's on his way back. He's not quite there yet, but he's on his way back. But we know this for sure. He knows the way home. He knows how to get back connected with God again. He knows 1 John 1.9. He knows Psalm 32. He knows the, the places in Scripture that talk about how do we reconnect. He knows that, and that's what we as parents want to do. And that is to make sure that regardless of where our kids go or what they do, they always know the way home. They know what to do when they realize they've been trying to get away from God, and it's impossible. And that leads to one final aspect of this incredible attribute, which is God's presence, and that is in the darkest night. Jesus made this comment about darkness as it relates to sinful patterns. John three twenty. everyone who does evil deeds hates the light. They will not come to the light. They are afraid that what they do will be seen. Trying to hide from God is an exercise in futility because he has night vision. Better than laser beam goggles. He can see through it all. Just think of how our behavior changes when we know somebody is watching us. You're in the buffet line. Do they still have buffet lines? I think they do. And you're getting in your buffet line and you can't wait, because you're seeing the guacamole and you're seeing the sour cream and you're seeing the great stuff there. And on the other side of the buffet is this lean, live couple, obviously joggers. And they're putting a little lettuce here locale dressing there. Something tells me that we might be tempted to take just a little less, to put a little bit more salad on than we normally would because someone is watching. I think it's safe to say that teenagers are not as affectionate with their dates when they're around the folks. (laughs) It's much easier to control yourself when you know somebody's watching. The point is that God is watching, and so there is no way to hide. When we try to hide from God, it's like ducking under the covers or putting a sack over our head. Nobody can see me now. Nobody has a clue where I am, right? And that's what it means when we try to hide from God. So we might as well come out with our hands up. Hebrews 4.13 says he knows about everyone everywhere, everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. Nothing can be hidden from him to whom we must explain all that we have done. Now the good news is that when we realize this, we can give up the charade and stop exhausting ourselves by trying to run away. Let God shine his light in every corner of our life to bring conviction and Forgiveness and healing and help and health. Hebrews 4, 15. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testing as we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I mentioned earlier that we can compare the presence of God in spirit to radio and TV waves and Wi-Fi that fills this room. Um, And they're always there, but we don't see them until we get the receiver. And so I want to wrap this message up by suggesting a few ways, a couple of ways, that we can tune in to God's presence, experiencing his omnipresence through quiet contemplation. I know you all agree that our lives are saturated with noise and visual images and ceaseless activity. All, all the stores and all the offices, the airplanes, the cra- classrooms, the locker rooms, workout centers, our homes, our church. Matter of fact, you can't get away from activity because it's in your palm and in your pocket and in your purse, in that little phone we carry around. You can't write on an elevator you can't make a telephone call and be put on hold without some noise. I'm grateful for the places now that says we can opt for the kind of stuff we want to listen to, including nothing. I think that's a great service. Quite frankly, we get uncomfortable if there's too much silence. Um, you ever been to a prayer meeting? Everybody's bowing their head in circle, and you're waiting for the first person to pray. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And then you really start praying, God, have somebody jump in here. This is really uncomfortable. we got to hear somebody talking. It's very uncomfortable to have that much silence. In many ways, I think the ceaseless noise and activity dulls our spiritual senses so we don't recognize the presence of God. Maybe the old Quakers had something when they had their silent meetings where they simply contemplated God and waited to see if anybody would have a word from him. Those services would take a whole lot less planning, Tommy, you know, if you think about it. Think, Kendra, all the work that that would save you every week. Say, we're going to come into this room and wait, see what happens. But we greatly benefit from quiet moments, contemplating the bigger moments, the bigger matters. Psalm 4610, our God says, calm down, calm down, and learn that I am God. You are very fortunate to have a pastor who models this kind of contemplation. This last week, he was at a, uh, a retreat center, a place for him to get away and read and study and ponder and pray and Practice the art and the discipline of meditation. And because he does that regularly, I'm sure not just when he gets to Newburgh, that's why his messages are so thoughtful and profound. If he hasn't told me, I talked to him about this this morning. I said, Tommy, have you ever taken the opportunity to share with the people at Shepherd how you? go about meditation, how you use those times. He said, you know, I really haven't. He confessed that to me. And I challenged him. I said, Tommy, I think you should. I think you should preach about it, or I think you should offer a special seminar that teaches people how to be alone with God. Because there are a lot of practical things that Tommy has learned and that he's put into practice that would benefit every one of you. So I hope that you'll do that, Tommy. And I hope that you'll take advantage of that because of the omnipresence of God to feel like you're really connecting with him. It's an important spiritual discipline that has been lost in our noisy media, activity-dominated generation. On the other hand of the emotional spectrum, we can experience God's omnipresence through joyous celebration. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Something happens in our spirits when we tune into the presence of God to practice his presence, as one writer put it. I'm actually going to ask you to open your Bibles now to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. This is still Shepherd of the Valley Bible Church, right? Great, okay. You can use your device, too, and you can be very biblical because you scroll your device, right, just like they did in the old time. All right, Psalm 16, verse 8, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There's a lot of great things in those few verses, but first of all, I want you to notice that we can choose to set the Lord before us as an act of our will. That's that process of meditation we've been talking about. We can choose to contemplate him, and we can choose to celebrate him. We can rejoice in the promise that regardless of how far down or out, he will never abandon us. We can claim his promise of guidance on the path of life regardless of how lost we feel. We can anticipate a baptism of joy for what he will do in our lives here on earth and what He will be providing in eternity. Times of worship, such as we've enjoyed today, can and do make the Lord's omnipresence more obvious to us. Don't limit them to Sunday services. I like the fact that you include a playlist in the connection every week to let them know the songs, right? And it's a great way to go back and review it, so it's just not something that's left to Sundays. The music, the scriptures, the thoughts shared, they can fuel our worship, our connection with God during the week. As you spend focused time and quiet contemplation and joyous celebration, you can come to experience God's omnipresence in a fresh way. You'll be able to say not just that God is everywhere, but you can say God is here in this place. Final question isn't, where is God? The question is, where am I? Let's bow together. Jesus, it's always a joy to come to Shepherd of the Valley, to meet my brothers and sisters again, and to meet some new ones. And it's a privilege to be able to open your word and work uh, with these people and, and study together these important truths from your word. And I pray, Father, that there's been some enlightenment today, a greater awareness of your presence and what that can mean for us. I continue to ask your richest blessing on this church. Thank you so much for the leadership that Tommy has given all these years. And I pray that the years and the seasons ahead will be even greater as they recognize your presence here. And we pray these things in the strong, marvelous Name of Jesus, who is everywhere, and everybody said, Amen. Amen.